the student of the game podcast where we break down the life strategy and advice of successful individuals who are students of their own game and masters of their own craft thanks for tuning in let's get to the episode Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Student of the Game podcast. I'm your host, Tim Stone, by myself today because I am the only host that is not a college student. So the other guys are in class right now, but I've got an awesome guest for you guys today. His name is Hayato Hori. He is a virtual wholesaler out of Los Angeles, California. And he's going to tell us a little bit about his business that he's been building over the last year and a half, two years, and just all the lessons he's learned. And he's 25 years old so he's a young guy found a lot of success in the last few years building his business doing real estate and we're, we're going to learn so much from him so thank you for being here man yeah thank you so much for having me here tim i appreciate yeah it. so yeah i uh, love to just like hop on these podcasts and have people with these crazy stories and and just pick their brain hear how they've been building their business so First, let's start it out like we start every podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your upbringing. And uh, I know you're only 25, so we usually stop <laughs> at the college age, but you could just tell the whole thing up until now. Yeah, sure. So actually, I didn't grow up here in the States. So when I first came here, it was a little bit of a culture shock. Uh, I'm Japanese. I was born in Tokyo and I grew up in Singapore. So I know maybe a lot of listeners may not have heard of Singapore, but for those of you who may know about it, you might have heard that it's very, very clean. Uh, that is true. <laughs> uh, they have a lot of laws, so like you can't chew gum there and whatnot. So that's another thing that you might have heard of. Um, but most of my upbringing was in Singapore. I left Japan when I was five years old, and I grew up there essentially for like 15 years in Singapore. So that's what I knew. That's environment that I grew up in and growing up I went to an American school so I was accustomed to some of the American culture uh, but then when I first really came here uh, in university that's kind of when I really was like oh this is America it's a little bit different I can be a little bit more independent I can do things my way it's a little bit more free and I really do believe that there are a lot of opportunities here as well and the people you meet, it's so interesting. Uh, in, in Singapore, most of the people that you meet are expats. So a lot of them are coming from different uh, you know, countries. They're working uh, at big corporations. And so the kids that I met, their parents, they're all quite wealthy, I would say. Uh, they were definitely middle class and above. And seeing where people came from and kind of understanding uh, what they were doing. It's, it all come, becomes quite similar in terms of like how much income they make and everything. But when you come, when I came here in the States, it was completely different because in college I would meet people from all around the world as well, but they were coming from different income backgrounds. They're coming from different, uh, you know, even neighborhoods in the States. It can drastically change just from being in, you know, from a city to a suburb. Like it's completely different here in, in the States. Whereas in Singapore, it's just an island. 
and it's both a city and a country. So, I mean, I, I would walk around and just meet people just walking in the mall or I would see my teacher just <laughs> eating lunch at the same place we're about to eat lunch. So it's really, really interesting to see the difference. Um, but I really, really learned a lot from living in Singapore. So crazy enough, when I was in Singapore, you know, 15 to 18 years back, the real estate there was not, it, or it wasn't a very well-developed country yet. Right now, it's one of the most richest countries in the world uh, by GDP. But at the time, it, there wasn't much there. And so while I was living there in the course of a decade or so, I saw a huge, huge transformation. And I also saw with my own eyes how rich some of these people especially Singaporeans who own the pro own their property, uh, how they gained so much wealth through real estate. And that I, actually, I think, was one of the very first uh, places where I learned how powerful real estate was. Awesome. So I wanted to go back a little bit. And you mentioned growing up in Singapore, you went to an American school in Singapore. Yeah. So in that that American school, what, what sort of environment were they trying to create? Were they working to prepare students to move to the United States to go to university? And uh, like, is that sort of what the goal of it is? Yeah, most of the kids in my high school uh, went to an American university. Some of them did go to like a British school, maybe Japanese universities or Singaporean universities. But I would say majority, 80 to 90 percent would go to an American university. Okay. And what was the biggest shock uh, thing or thing that surprised you about America coming from the American school in Singapore to coming to America, going to an American school? Man, I got to say the food portions. The food portions are huge here. Yeah. <laughs> I gained 20 pounds in the first like three months <laughs> just living in the States, which is, I mean, I love Chipotle burritos. Like I couldn't have even half of it uh, when I first came here, but now I can eat like two, you know. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i think that was the biggest uh shock i think another thing was like how open a lot of people were like in singapore or in asian communities you're really your goal is to find a great job and then do very very well in school be as be the ideal candidate for a company that you work at that's kind of the mentality that you go through and a job is seen as very safe. There's no risk with it. Uh, and so that's what I'm sure most Asian parents would want for their kid. And it's not really stereotyping. It's the culture that I was brought up in. And that's what I saw growing up. But when I came here to the U.S., it was crazy how many people had like a side hustle or they're like, hey, I actually want to be a musician. I want to be an artist. And there's so many variety of people where they're not really solely focused on getting that great job at a you know at a bank or a financial institution or being an engineer it's it's very different because here they push on what you're interested in try to pursue that and go from there yeah it's a it's like the pursuit of freedom mm -hmm. even if um maybe getting a secure job that pays well might provide a even a, even a higher level of freedom than um, 
doing nothing and having a few side hustles, not gaining any traction. Mm-hmm. But I, I would, I would just think like in, in our minds, it's like the pursuit of one day I can have this financial freedom. I can do whatever I want. And yeah. even if I have to live like crap and, um, you know, eat, eat garbage and, and yeah. live, live with 15 roommates. A lot of people would rather do that for 20 years than just get a secure, uh, good paying job. Mm-hmm. That, that definitely is interesting. And I don't know a lot about Singapore, but what I, when I think of it, I do think of it as like a very rich and developed country and mm-hmm. like huge cities and the real estate is crazy and people travel there and it's beautiful. Um, but like, what, what are some things about the culture there that maybe we don't know that, um, cause it sounds, it sounds just from the little that I know, like mm-hmm. it's kind of a Western type of culture. Yeah. So when it was colonized by Britain a long time ago, mm-hmm. there's a lot of British influence there. So a lot of the public schools in Singapore, uh, they go through the IB program, which is kind of like the AP program here in the US, but it's more stands know. for something else. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's different. <laughs> yeah. And so they go through that education system. Um, and a lot of the culture that's influenced came from Britain. And so that's a little bit different um, in terms of culture in Singapore. Another thing is it is a little bit segregated as well. So when I was playing soccer, uh, I joined a professional youth soccer team. When I was in high school, I wanted to become a professional soccer player. So that's what I was kind of dedicating my life towards. And that's back then, that's what I knew I wanted to do. Quickly mm-hmm. learned that the money just wasn't there. And if you wanted to get money or live off playing professionally, you would have to go at a very, very high level. So I definitely still have that competitive nature, but I quickly learned that that's maybe something that I don't want to do. But playing in a youth team like that, a lot of the people that I would play with uh, or most of the teammates were local uh, in Singapore. And so they're awesome guys. I still keep in touch with some of them as well uh, to this day. But the amount of money that a lot of their families made was very different from all the expats that actually came into Singapore. And so if you were Singaporean, like maybe 20, 30 years back, and you owned a home then, you were at the best position because now your real estate probably like 10x maybe 20x uh but if you didn't own and you're renting and come to this day most of them won't be able to afford anything but hdbs which are government owned buildings that you can go ahead and rent out but it's only it's more for singaporean uh people and so you know, if, if you were renting back then and didn't have a home, it was very, very difficult for them to actually build wealth. And uh, I know a lot of them did struggle uh, when we I was playing in that youth team. I saw a lot of the kids, like they were trying to become professional players so that they can provide for their family as well, so they can give a little bit more income to support their family. So that's just something that I looked into. Regardless, Singapore is a beautiful, beautiful country. It's very developed, uh, but there definitely is a little bit of that difference that you also see, you know, anywhere else in the world as well. Yeah. Do you ever plan to invest there? 
In Singapore, uh, probably not. I think it's at the peak. It's very, very expensive. Honestly, it's it's yeah. crazy how much real estate is there. So, I personally wouldn't. But who knows? You don't, you don't think it's gonna keep going up? It probably I, is. I think it can. I think it can. <laughs> yeah. For me, I love investing in things that cash flow and also has appreciation. And obviously, mm. in in expensive cities or expensive countries, uh, especially Singapore, it's going to be tough to cash flow. It might not be. Mm-hmm. It might. It's probably not going to be more than a five cap. Again, I need to do more research. I can't speak on whether or not that's true, but just just based on how much some of the real estate is worth, it's going to be very, very tough to cash. So you're just going to have to bank on the appreciation, which is a little bit scary, especially if, you know, if there is a housing crash coming, that would be a scary mm-hmm. thing for any homeowner that's just banking on the appreciation of their property. Yeah. So let's, let's dive a little deeper into your story. It's coming from that culture of get a job, work, be the best employee, be the best candidate for the job. How did you move towards entrepreneurship and becoming a business owner and creating something on your own? Where did that idea come from? What pushed you in that direction? Yeah, so I I always feel like I was a little bit weird in school. I always had like a different thought process. So in high school, like while everyone's, you know, diligently doing their homework, diligently working, I would be like, why am I learning calculus? Like I'm never going to use this for sure. You know, why am I learning these things that I'm mm-hmm. never going to, apply into real life. And so that was always in the back of my head. Uh, I always loved the idea of becoming financially free. I actually read Rich Dad Poor Dad in high school and I was like, I can do that. Like that doesn't seem very, very difficult. Like the concept makes a lot of sense. And going into college, uh, I actually majored in finance going in because obviously like that was the idea I had, right? Get a good job, like be stable and I thought that was the best way to do it. I quickly learned that that wasn't the path I wanted to take. So when I first got into university, I went to, I joined a lot of soccer clubs because I, I still can't get away from soccer, right? Like I, I love it as a hobby. Mm-hmm. While playing soccer, I was like, how the hell are these like people playing at you know, 3 p.m. or 11 a.m. on a weekday. Like, do they not have jobs? (laughs) And I would talk to a few of them, and a lot of them had their own business. And so I was like, man, if you have your own business, you can create your own time. And I got more and more into, like, maybe this is something that I should do. And I used to sell, like, you know, gum or trinkets or, like, little soccer shoes back in high school. And I loved making money from little things like that. But then going into high school, luckily, or going into university, luckily they had an entrepreneurship program. And so I actually quickly changed my major from finance to entrepreneurship. And that's kind of when I started loving the process of building a business, creating new opportunities for me to make money on, um, and also enjoy doing it. So I started a bunch of things in college i started an app like everyone does right and then i started (laughs) (laughs) i quickly learned that i didn't know how to code so then that's when i was like okay i need to minor in computer science so at least i know um, what it means to code things what it means to create software so i minored in computer science majored in entrepreneurship and then i also started 
Shopify dropshipping because that was a quite quite a big thing like four years back. So before it blew up, I started it. It got a decent amount of traction, but it was quite volatile. So I was like, okay, maybe this is not it. And then I was doing a bunch of retail arbitrage, going to Goodwill, buying products there, selling it on eBay. Uh, and I liked it. It makes good money on the weekends, but it's not scalable. And so I learned, okay, I need something now that is scalable. And from all those experiences, I was able to take them into what I'm finally doing now, which is wholesaling properties virtually in the Midwest. Awesome. So did, did you finish college? Yeah, I finished college. Uh, yeah, I finished college. Awesome. And where, where did you go to school? I went to Loyola Marymount University. It's in Playa del Rey uh, in LA. Okay, awesome. So um, yeah, I like that you you did almost every side hustle that I did uh, yeah. in high school. I, I had a Shopify store for a little bit, lost a couple thousand dollars, never made a sale. Uh, I did retail arbitrage, did all right with that, flipping sneakers, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's fun. I, I could really relate to you on there because it was just going from one thing to another, like oh, I could do this and make money because there was, um, I've been telling this story a lot. I don't think I've told it on the podcast. Mm-hmm. There was one pair of sneakers that I sold for an almost five hundred dollar profit. I bought them, for like, bought them for like one sixty, and sold them for like six forty. That's so crazy. <laughs> in one pair of sneakers, I made more money than I made in the entire summer of my first job. <laughs> so I just I had the realization, like, yeah, I'm probably never gonna have a real job ever. And now, That's now that so I can, awesome. now that I can do this. <laughs> that's so cool and i honestly like i think everyone should start there like just flipping small products because you can do it at a small scale even if you lose money it's okay and you learn the value of flipping things you learn the value of buying something at a lower cost and then selling it you get better at marketing products i just think it's just so applicable to anything i mean real estate is not that much different but then you just have a much higher price point yeah, it's just bigger numbers and you make more money. It's exactly. a little more complicated, but the mm-hmm. principle of it is really the same. Yeah, you exactly. find something that someone has that maybe they just can't get rid of it to the right buyer in the right amount of time. So you take care of that and then you make some profit in there. Yep. So that's I, that's the perfect transition to just start talking about your business now with the wholesaling. You're in LA, but you're doing a lot in Tennessee, Ohio, all over the place. To talk about what the journey of building that was and uh, where did you first hear about wholesaling real estate? Like how did, how did it come up like in the mind and then on paper and then exist in the real world? Yeah. So it's a pretty funny story actually. So I was in, I was still in university uh, doing all these side hustles, trying to make something work because I knew I wanted to have my own business. And so while I was in college and getting all these things done, I had a roommate. His name was Antoine. Uh, and he has a company called Martel Turnkey. And so he was my roommate at that time. And I saw him grow his real estate business from, you know, zero all the way to doing like 10 properties a month. And so I was like, man, that's just, that sounds great. My dropshipping store did like 60 grand in a month, but then the next month it did like, five and so 
it's so volatile. I knew it wasn't something that I could keep up and replicate over and over and over again. Uh, and it wasn't something consistent for me, at least. Uh, I just wasn't that good, I think, at marketing or doing Facebook ads. And so I then went up to him and I was like, hey, like, what's the biggest thing for you that could add value to your company? And he's like, we're always looking for good deals. And it's hard to find a wholesaler or a wholesale company that actually does it right and is transparent and can actually provide deals consistently that are good. And so we're like, okay, well, that's an opportunity there. And we quickly jumped into wholesaling real estate. I actually had a nine to five job at that time. So after my nine to five, I would work from five to midnight working on the wholesaling thing. And December of 2019, uh, we officially started it. And within a month or two, we saw it pick up traction quite quickly, much quicker than other things that I've tried before. And so we're like, okay, you know what? I'm going to give my two week notice. I'm just going to go all in and see what happens. <laughs> and right. then so within the first month or two, yeah, within the month, yeah, within the first month that they were like, you know, this thing is picking up really quick. I'm just going to quit. It's okay. You know, whatever happens, I'll be okay. And so I gave my two week notice in January of 2020. And then of course COVID hits, right? Like it's just my dumb luck. Like it would happen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but the amazing thing, uh, well, I, I don't want to say amazing thing. COVID sucks, right? It, it's not fun for anyone, but what came out of it was, because his markets were in the Midwest, he was buying properties in Memphis and Cleveland at that time. That's why we dove into those markets. We had to do everything virtually and learn how to virtually send contracts out, make sure that you know the title company gets everything completed. So we were actually set up for success when COVID hit and everything had to turn virtual and forced everyone into we were already planned and ready for it. So actually when COVID hit, our business didn't take a hit. It just continued growing. And so from doing zero to one deal a month, now we're at a place where we're doing 15 to 20 in the Midwest market. And we're hoping to continue expanding our markets and growing from there. Awesome. So it is pretty um, ironic and kind of funny that you were setting up virtually because obviously you're in California, the markets mm -hmm. you need to be in were all the way across the country. So you were sort of a step ahead of the game from all the people that ended up getting into virtually wholesaling real estate and virtual closings and all the contracts you, you that like that was, that was your game before it became the game. Yeah. <laughs> so you're really setting yourself up for success without knowing it just because who could have known. Right. Yeah. That's exactly that's right. awesome. <laughs> Yeah. So what, what have been um, some of the biggest challenges, um, especially virtually wholesaling across the country during a pandemic, just the, in, a, in a year filled with so many challenges, what have been some of the biggest challenges that you had to go through with your business? Yeah. So the biggest thing was, you know, obviously I would love to meet the investors that we go ahead and close, you know, close transactions on. And we, classify our investors into like three different buckets one are 
the retail investors, so people who maybe have bought their first property or they're looking to buy their first property, all the way up to maybe someone who has you know maybe five to ten units. So that's our first bucket, which is the retail investor. Then we have another bucket that's like fix and flip companies or turnkey companies that buy like ten plus properties per month. And then we have the third bucket, which is the big hedge funds, institutional investors that buy like 30, 50 plus properties a month. And so we try to cater to all these investors and with, especially with the retail investors, uh, you know, a lot of them are looking to buy out of state because it's so expensive where they live. Like for me in California, the numbers just don't make sense here. It doesn't cash flow. You just have to bank on depreciation. It can be a little bit scary. And so for me um, and a lot of other investors are like, okay, what's more affordable? Well, the Midwest, it does appreciate and it can cash flow well, depending on the market, Off, you know, obviously. And they want to invest there, but they don't have the resources to manage the property. You know, they don't have uh, lenders that can help them. So what we did was we're like, okay, we can introduce you to property management companies, insurance companies, lenders, and give you a list of contractors too that you can contact that we've heard good things about. So then you can go ahead and get started. And so that way we can introduce them to the boots on the ground and they don't have to be as worried about investing out of state. So, you know, we weren't able to meet these investors face to face, which was a little bit, unfortunately, uh, a little bit unfortunate, but we're still able to make it work by saying, hey, this is the property. We can introduce you to all these things. And another thing that we started doing was inspections. So we do inspections on every single property that we get under contract because that way our investors can see, you know, all the way from here in California, what the property looks like because the inspection report has pictures. And we also ask them to do a walkthrough video as well. So they never have to go into that property themselves, they have the full scope of what the property is going to be when they buy it. Awesome. Very thorough. And I'm sure it's very assuring to buy something sight unseen when you've seen every inch of the house and a full detailed inspection report. Mm -hmm. So uh, once it gets to the point where you're doing 10, 20 deals a month, just like that, to a lot of our listeners, it starts to become just like way out there and just like mm -hmm. unimaginable, especially if you've never done a first deal. So I'd like to hear about what the first one looked like. Like, how did you find it? How did you find your buyer? Like, how did the whole transaction go? Because that's what a lot of people are going to want to hear is like, I just want to do one, you know, these people are trying yeah. to do 10, 20, like these hedge funds buying 50 houses a month. But how do you get that one? What did that first one look like to you guys? So for me, the very first one that I bought, the very first rental property that I bought, of course, I looked again in my area and I was like, yep, yeah, there's no way I can buy anything here. It's way too expensive. All the homes are 750000 plus where I'm from. Even if I got an 8 FHA, I'm most likely not even going to be approved. So it just wasn't an option. And then I had about like $15,000 saved up. And so the very first property... Antoine actually had his turnkey company. And so I was like, you know what? I'll go ahead and buy something that's completely turnkey just so that I don't have to deal with maintenance. I just want to see how this thing works. I want to see, do I actually get red checks every single month? Is the tenant actually going to pay? You know, how does the entire process work? And for me, the 
the least risk that I had to take in order to go and get a rental property for myself was to buy a turnkey property. So uh, I bought a property from him, uh, I think for $70,000 at that time. And when I bought that property, I saw how the property management operated. I saw that I was getting rent checks every single month. And I was like, great, you know, this works. Real estate works. There's cash flow. And then actually, uh, fast forward two, three years from that time, uh, the property appreciated about 20 grand or so. And so I actually recently sold it um, for a good chunk of money. And then I'm probably going to buy another two rental properties. And so that was my first rental property. I know a lot of other people, they are like, I want to value add and you know get a little bit more sweat equity into the property. I think it depends on everyone and their risk tolerance, but that was what I did. Yeah. Awesome. So I, I think that's a, a perfect way that you don't, you don't hear a lot about people, their first property being just a turnkey, like just mm-hmm. come in, buy it. The property manager is going to take over and I start collecting a check because a lot of people want to, they want to look at deals on the MLS. They want to send out mailers, go door knocking, like all mm-hmm. those things that maybe they don't want to do those things because it scares them, mm-hmm. but just hustle, find the first deal and then get into it. And then like, now what then you got to learn how to property management all that stuff yeah so i i've always thought it's very important to at least do one deal like just be in it you know have some skin in the game have some fraction of experience because going from zero to one is you'll learn so much more than from one to ten yeah that's so So, true uh, yeah it it, and and would you feel like like that was just like a very important part to your personal finance just just getting one like, like yeah i was whatever, like I just need however one. it came you know exactly i was just like i just need one i just need to see if it works i don't care if i lose all my money from doing this i had a little bit just enough like maybe one or two grand in the reserves just in case anything happened but i was like if i lo- lose all my savings my 15k that i saved up for years i'm still 21 I'm going to be okay. Like I'll, I'll make it back. <laughs> I just need to learn how it works, but I wanted to make, mitigate risks though, because I know myself, I think it's the same with a lot of people. If anyone has a bad experience with, you know, investing or with real estate or with stocks, whatever in general, I feel like it's harder for that person to go back into it and try it again. Like, you know, at least for me, even playing any sport like baseball, I wasn't, I was never really good at baseball. And so when I first started, I was like, yeah, I don't want to go. I don't want to play if I'm not good at it. And soccer, I was great at it. And so I was like, okay, well, I want to continue playing it because I know I'm good. Same thing with real estate. I wanted to make sure that I was given, I was putting the best foot forward and I would have the best chance of success. Cause then that way I can go back and be like, okay, great. My first deal went great. How do I get the second, third and fourth? Whereas if I maybe went another route, I would buy the wrong rental property, lose money, and then not have the motivation to keep pushing and trying the second and third and fourth. Hmm. Awesome. Yeah, it's, it's very important. And, and not only going from zero to one, but sort of what you were saying is if the one doesn't go well, you might never do a two. Mm-hmm. But um, but also you'll never do two if you don't do one. So it's, exactly. it's just uh, very important to be smart with it and um and and that's where 
you got to be careful when you're saying just do a deal, like just do your first deal. Like don't care if you lose money because mm -hmm. if you do lose money, you're going to care and you'll yeah. probably never do a second one. So you should <laughs> exactly. do something smart. Maybe, maybe you should buy one of Antoine's turnkey properties because it's going to pay you a check on month one. And it's probably going to be all like tip top maintenance. Property management is going to take care of it. And now mm -hmm. you're in, you, you just have a deal, yep. but that takes money. So uh, if you're 20 years old, you have no money. A lot of people turn to wholesaling. Mm -hmm. What would, because just because it, it has a lower barrier barrier to entry because you can potentially knock on someone's door, have a conversation, they sign a contract, and you sell that contract and make ten, fifteen thousand, and yeah. with no expenses potentially. But that's not very scalable, and and that's not at all what you're doing. But what would you recommend to someone that is in that position, like can't just go buy a turnkey, don't have you know, 20, 30,000 saved up for a down payment, can't get approved for a loan. Mm -hmm. That's and, a, yeah. No, that's a great point because I mean, that's how we built this company. We, you know, we we're a wholesale company and initially starting out, we had no capital as well. We didn't have much to start off with. And so wholesaling, I think is a great, great avenue for those people who are saying, Hey, like I, you know, I don't have much money, but maybe I can make some money and build some cash cow to invest in rental properties after. And I think wholesaling is a great way to do it. And so for us, the very first wholesale deal that we did at, at our company, uh, we bought a list. We used list source at that time. And then we skipped trace that list to get the owner's information. And then once we got that owner's information, I hired a bunch of virtual assistants through Upwork uh, and I hired, I think about eight to 10 of them because I knew from doing side hustles in the past that you'll have more bad apples than good apples. And so by testing like 10 people, usually one or two people would come out great. And those are the people that you want to keep. And so we hired 10 people and especially because I had a nine to five, I wasn't able to call during the day that's just something that i couldn't do as a that like naturally so uh when we hire those people we definitely saw one or two people stand out from the rest that were getting properties under contract and we're like okay great it works we can get properties under contract and then we looked to investors and we said hey are you interested in buying this property and we did our very first deal in cleveland ohio i still remember it we're I was literally looking up what liens were. I was looking up how title works because I had no clue how to do any of those in the beginning. I was learning as I went. And when we closed our first deal, it took about 30 to 45 days. Uh, we were getting all these documents together, but I learned so much from that one deal uh, than I did just, you know, than I would have if I was just researching it on my own in my room. I think taking that action would is just so much better um, in terms of learning how to go ahead and make something work. And especially with wholesaling, to buy that list, to hire people, you know, you can really get started um, with as little to no money. If you use your own phone, if you maybe got a list from uh, your county, uh, you might get that for free and you can do it with you know, the least amount of money as possible. But I wouldn't necessarily say that 
it's absolutely no expense at all. Wholesaling does cost, you know, a good amount of money, especially at the scale we are now. Once you start hiring people, once you start getting more and more deals that you need to take care of, that's when expenses really do start increasing. And a lot of investors, like, they think, hey, you're getting the properties for nothing. You're not putting anything in there. You should be fine. Well, it's like, well, we have employees, we have payroll that we pay for, we pay for inspections, we pay for that list, we pay for all the marketing that we do to get that property. And it's not free. So, you know, we always, when I tell people like wholesaling is great to begin with, I really do think it's great. I learned so much about the real estate industry just by doing this. And I still love this business model and want to continue scaling to bigger numbers. But I would say that it, you know, you might see some people on TikTok saying it's like, it's, you don't have to put anything in there. I would disagree. You definitely need to account for some expenses and you definitely have to be ready to take action and hustle a little bit to get that deal done. Yeah. So what does the business look like now that you've scaled up and you have income coming from the deals you're doing, you've hired people. What does the day-to-day look like for you? What type of team have you built? Like what's the whole breakdown? So right now we have about 16 people in our team. We have about eight to nine people in our acquisitions team that are consistently looking for properties that we can go ahead and sell to add to our inventory. Then we have about five people in our transactions team who are making making sure that the deals close on time constantly communicating with the title company, the investors, and also the sellers to make sure that everything is going as smoothly as possible. And right now I'm managing those transaction coordinators. That's kind of my role and, and overseeing uh, the sales part and making sure that we can close on all the properties and we get the money coming in in our company. But starting next month, we're hiring a director of transactions, which is going to make my workload much better uh, so that they can take, he can take care of all the transaction coordinators, make sure that the property is closed. And my time will be spent more on expanding into different markets, uh, connecting with bigger hedge funds so that we can sell more properties and taking myself a little bit out of the day-to-day operations and, expanding the business as much as possible awesome yeah so do you do much training are you training with the cold callers with those transaction coordinators um spend a lot of time teaching them getting them you know smoothing out the process yeah i spend a lot of time training that very first employee i spend close to like three months uh training that person making sure that they know exactly what I want and how I do things. And while I'm training them, I ask them to record what they're doing and create a standard operating procedure. So for the next person that I hire, it's all in a video or it's all in a document. And we can have that as training material for that next person to go ahead and learn from. And once they learn from this, you know, standard operating procedure and everything, then the very first employee that I hired can go ahead and train them um, into doing what I need. So I still am involved with these 
with the new hires, but definitely not as much as the very first employee, just because uh, I see a big value there in creating all those operating procedures so that everything is a little bit more streamlined and can scale a little bit more when hiring people. So you're, you're building this business, you're creating these systems and processes, hiring people, training them, all that just growing this legitimate business that um that like maybe you never even dreamed of doing it so what do you do to teach yourself and make sure that you're building the business correctly and you're doing things right and you're doing things efficiently are there certain books that you read or books that you go back to and base your company on i know a lot of people base their company on traction these days books mm-hmm. like that are there certain resources that you tend to go back to or seek out to um prepare yourself to build this business that you never really expected to get into until the recent years? That's a great question. Uh, The biggest thing that I do that I constantly do every single day is I look at other companies that are doing something similar or doing way bigger in terms of volume. And I try to reverse engineer what they're doing as much as possible and try to apply that to my business. So By doing so, I'm like, okay, if they can do 500 deals a month doing this and they have this system set up, I can implement that in my team and my system and my CRM, and then we should be able to scale up to that number. And so I I do read books. I do try to take as much as I can, but I try to, I would say 95% of the time, I'm taking what's currently working, what's currently succeeding from successful companies, successful people, and try to take that in as much as possible and implement it in our own way and try to make it a little bit better. Awesome. So when, when you look at these companies, like say they're doing a million a month in volume or something crazy like that, mm-hmm. do you only look at their company from afar and try to reverse engineer it? Or do you you ever just ask them like, hey, what, oh, I straight like, up what, what do you them. guys do? Yeah, I, I straight up ask them. I I, and I like to connect with a lot of investors. And so I would be like, hey, how are you doing this? Or how would you like, uh, how are you managing your team? How are you getting so many deals under contract? What are you doing that I'm not doing? And a lot of people are actually open about it. And they'll tell you like, hey, this is what we do, you know, because I want to bring value too. So if they ever come to me, I'm more than happy to share what I do as well. And so it's kind of a give and take, but I always directly ask, how are you guys doing it? And try to reverse engineer it that way. Uh, Otherwise, you know, I will resort into like maybe doing a little bit of deep diving on their website, seeing what we're not doing on our end that they're doing, things like that. Yeah. And that's, the, that's exactly the point I was trying to get to is like, you could literally just ask these people and they'll tell you, because mm-hmm. I, I go to a lot of conferences, networking events, all that. And you just, just have a conversation. It's, it's people that make decisions in businesses and people, mm-hmm. especially if they're at these events at networking things, they want to just connect with people. That's their goal of coming. Yeah. So you literally ask any question you want. And I see people on, on Facebook trying to wholesale properties. And I'm like, I have no idea who you are. Like there's all these Facebook groups. We have all these networking events. Like you can come out, you can meet everyone in this group because in, in real estate networking is a big thing. Like people just love to get Mm -hmm. together, talk about what they're doing. A lot of people don't see each other as competition just because there's so much out there and so many different ways to do it. Like if you help someone 
with this one idea in their business, like they're probably not even competition because you're probably doing something different anyway in, in just a little, in a little way. So yeah. people tend to be very helpful in this industry. I you literally, agree. literally just ask them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely yeah. agree. Most people are open. Yeah. And some people aren't, but mm-hmm. yeah, who cares? They're not yeah. getting, they're not getting help from everyone. Like everyone is like, I've seen this the firsthand, like here in Chattanooga, there's, um, a very tight knit real estate investor community and they all get together usually about twice a month and hang out and have drinks and talk about their business. And mm-hmm. then there's people in the Facebook groups and online and they're trying to post their deals. And it's like, you know, none of us have any idea who you are. Mm-hmm. Just you to come, come down to the restaurant on Thursday night and meet us and it, things will be so much easier for your business. Yeah, And then learn from these experienced investors that have been in the Chattanooga market for 20, 25 years and they know everything and they own hundreds of units. Like you should just be there in the room with them. It's free. They want to help you. They want to meet you. Yeah. Like just get there, just go ask your questions instead of trying to figure it out um, through YouTube videos and from afar. So I'm, I'm really glad that you said, yes, just ask people. Yep, I, I, I completely agree with you. And I think people will be surprised like how helpful they are. And so in the real estate industry, it's like if I scratch your back, you scratch my back. And most of the time, the more value you provide someone with, the more they'll come back to you and be like, I want to do another deal with you. Or I want to, hey, I have this great deal. You know, you helped me last time. Here's a great deal for you. And so it really does come full circle. And I really think that just asking that simple question to someone is is going to make it uh, much easier for you to do whatever you want to. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like most people in real estate investment, especially if they've been in it the past few years, the ultimate goal is financial freedom, yep. financial independence, all that. So uh, we were actually interviewing Scott Trench yesterday. He's the CEO mm-hmm. of Bigger Pockets. He was saying that their goal is to achieve financial independence for the most amount of people, especially at a younger age, because if you have, you know, 40 years on this end of your life that Mm -hmm. is financially free, you can achieve so much more, do so much good in the world. Like he was saying, reduce your carbon footprint, like so many different ways you could make the world better and make your life better Mm -hmm. just by getting the getting out of the rat race and getting all that stuff out of the way. Yeah. But real estate specifically, like that's everyone's goal and they're going to help you because they want everyone to achieve mm-hmm. the same things to, um, uh, you know, ultimately make the world better in, in many different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And so for me, I believe like real estate is the best way and the quickest way to get to financial freedom because, you know, I, I invested in stocks as well. Uh, open a Roth IRA, put money in there and and index fund, you know, and in 30, 40 years, you'll definitely, definitely have enough to retire. You'll have millions if you contribute enough every single month, but Mm. the question is, you'll be 65. And it's, the question becomes, is that what you want? And for some people that's okay. Like they, they love their job. They want to be secure and they want to just invest, you know, a few hundred and not want to think about investing because they're not good with numbers or whatever. And so it works for some people. But if you are looking to achieve financial freedom as quick as possible, 
I think real estate is the best way to do it because you can leverage your money. You have great tax advantages. You have appreciation that grows with the market and you have cash flow. So it, it has everything I think and that can make you financially free. And uh, that's why I'm so passionate about it as well. Yeah. Perfectly said there. Just all the, there's so many different ways you can make money off of real estate and mm -hmm. The biggest thing is like it doesn't have to be your money mm -hmm. to start. Yeah, it, it it could totally be someone else's because some people are perfectly fine with a eight to ten percent return because that's a great return, mm -hmm. and I'd be totally willing to pay someone that to not have to come out of pocket to buy real estate. You know, yeah. And then the appreciation you get you get all the upside, the tax benefits. It's it's truly the I believe it's the greatest vehicle for building wealth and financial independence. Um, mm -hmm. Although the way, the way crypto has been the last few weeks, <laughs> you can't beat it, but uh, it, it goes up and down. I, you know, you could lose a thousand dollars tomorrow. You can make $2,000 the next day. It's um, but that, exactly. that just doesn't happen in real estate. I know. Uh, yeah. And I, a lot of people come up to me too and they're like, Hey, what about this crypto? What about, I, I, I tell them like, I mean, you can make a lot of money for sure. Like if you get in at the right moment and everything, but with crypto, you don't get cash flow like you do in real estate. And if you want to achieve financial freedom, that's what you need. You need cash flow. You need something that pays you every single month. And, and it's great uh, that, you know, that crypto went from five bucks to a hundred and you don't, you know, you've 20 extra your money, but at the same time, is it going to pay you every single month? Well, the answer is going to be no. So you can use that money to then buy real estate, I would say. But, you know, I think there are limitations. And again, like you said, it's super volatile. You can lose money, a lot, you know, a lot of money in crypto too. Sure, you don't know what you're doing as well. So. Yeah. And, and people people say uh, real estate's risky. And and it is. But um, Any investment is, right? And not, not to hate on crypto, but uh, whatever whatever happens with the rent, with the whatever, like you still have the house, you know, unless mm -hmm. it burns down, but you, you got to have insurance, but um, you still have the house. You still have the land. Like mm -hmm. they're not making any more land. They're, yeah. they're hardly making any more houses right now, the way mm -hmm. construction costs are. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, it's very, a very secure investment. Um, crashes happen, but like over the mm -hmm. grand scheme of things, prices don't tend to go down very often. And you can control um, it. That's the thing. Like you, you can. can control real estate. Like, okay, if something goes bad, maybe you Airbnb it. Maybe you, mm -hmm. you know, throw some roommates in there. You maybe you just, you know, you live in it and then you rent it out to other people. You house hack it. Like there's so many things you can do and, and that you have control over, whereas you don't have that with stocks and crypto. So Yeah. And this is one of the things I say to a lot of people like with stocks. You can pray that Elon Musk sends out a tweet and your your prices go up, your your value goes up. But with real estate, you could put new floors in, you can paint it, you can put in new appliances, you could do better marketing, whatever. Yeah. And in most, I mean, location is a very important thing, obviously. But in most cases, making that investment in the cosmetic stuff literally forces appreciation. Like you can yeah. go in there with your bare hands, put down some floors. And now your investment has appreciated. Exactly. Yeah. And so if you it, want it's to be fully yourself. controllable, uh, back to what you're saying, like you can literally control the real estate with your bare hands, whereas stocks and crypto, you know, you, you just hope Elon Musk uh, gets on Twitter today. 
I know. <laughs> yeah. And I love what you said about like the financial freedom, what uh, the founder of Bigger Pockets mentioned as well. Like once you achieve that financial freedom, you don't have to be in the real estate space too. You can be in there and invest in real estate and continue growing that passive income. But now you have something where you can be like, hey, I'm really passionate about dogs. I'm really passionate about homelessness. You can actually make an impact in those areas where you don't actually have to worry about your own well-being because I'm a big believer too that you, you need to take care of yourself first before you take care of anyone else. You can always do a little bit of good and, you know, maybe give a few dollars here and there to, you know, charity um, as much as you can. But I think big difference is made when you yourself are not worried about, you know, at, at least your financial stability. And now you have more that you can go ahead and give up because ideally I want to build a uh, sustainable, renewable energy company as well down the line when I can. And I think that's the way that the world is changing a little bit into, you know, global warming is, a big problem that it really is and and i think there's a lot of things that anyone any one person can do to make a difference once you get to that point where you are financially free right and sort of you know going back to what uh, we've been saying is like you say you're held down by your bills and your debt and whatever and you need to stay in your job and you're just going to be there for 40 years and maybe you retire when you're 65 and maybe that makes you happy, but if your life goal is to build that sustainable, renewable energy, whatever, something that's going to change the world, you'll never get to do that. Or very few people will get to do that uh, <clears throat> without having the opportunity to leave their job and not have to worry about the bills being paid and the, the fact that they'll one day get to stop working if they need to or mm -hmm. want to, whatever. Yep, I I hundred percent agree. I think it's, it's just it's just the nature of it. You know, if if you're distressed in terms of finances, in terms of you know, your mental health gets affected too. Obviously, when when your finances are low, everyone gets affected. It, it, I'm I'm a very positive person. I'd like to think I'm usually ninety nine point nine percent of the time happy, but. When mm -hmm. it comes down to like, hey, I can't afford this or I can't do that, you know, obviously it does take some type of toll on your mental health too. So not having to worry about that is a big, big, you know, chunk of memory that you can free up into using to something else that's good yeah. for the world. And it's significantly more difficult to leave an impact on the world if you have to spend 40 hours at the office this week to make sure you can eat next week. Mm -hmm. it, it, you just you can't argue with that like it, it is significantly more difficult yeah uh, in that situation it is just that's just how it is and that's um that's why we do what we do we do these podcasts we talk about different investment strategies let people hear how everyone has done their first deal mm -hmm. figure out how they can do it and get themselves into you know an Im improved situation yep i so, i agree and i think real estate is something that anyone can do i'm not mm -hmm you know, extremely smart. I was never that great in school. I was very, very average. Uh, you know, and if, if I can buy rental properties, so can anyone. That's, that's what I think. Yeah. hundred percent. I never finished school. I was an entrepreneurship major in college as well. And yeah, uh, decided to drop out. <laughs> so <laughs> so if that says anything, um, I definitely wasn't a 4.0, but, it, um, still had whatever, you know, decent mm -hmm. grades. 
Um, so let, let's move on to advice for our listeners. And um, I, I sort of talked about books a little bit earlier, but what, what's a book that you recommend to a lot of people? Or maybe um, the way we like to word it is what book have you given away the most? But not everybody has given away a book the most. Um, I, I think the book I always recommend is How to Win Friends and Influence People. I just think it's so powerful and I think it's applicable to anyone, regardless of what industry you're in. You can be in real estate, you can be at your job, you can even be, you know, trying to build a relationship with friends. I think it's so important, the key components that they, that Carnegie talks about in those, in that book, it's something I use every single day and it, it, it's not a business book, but it is. I, I, I just think it's mm. so powerful because really, again, like you said before, relationships are everything in real estate, but not just real estate, though, in any industry. Relationship building is the absolutely most crucial thing because it's people that run companies. It's people that make decisions and getting into those networks of people that can help you do what you want to or will definitely leapfrog you into doing uh you know bigger and better things yeah it's it's a life and success book and that goes along with business but it's it's not even directly business related but life and success are part of it Mm -hmm. a very important part of success in business yeah so that's awesome and uh what is one of the biggest lessons you've learned in the last year in the last year, I think the biggest lesson I learned was hiring people and how to hire the right people. Because when we first started, obviously, we didn't really have employees. Now we have like 15 to 16 people. When you have 15 to 16 people, everyone's ide- ideologies are a little bit different. Everyone has different work ethics everyone has a different idea of how they should be working. And so coming up with, you know, something that everyone is happy with and is able to see the vision of the company and work towards it. That's something that I never had to run into, but it's definitely, you know, something that I learned a lot from because it's the people that we have that continue to propel the company forward. And if those people weren't there, we're not going to be able to do the 15 to 20 deals that we're doing every single month. It's just not going to happen. It's the people that, you know, that trust the company and can continue to provide day in and day out. That's why we're here. And I learned so much uh, from hiring a lot of these people. Awesome. And what do you do in your free time for fun to, um, when you, when you take a step away from business, and uh, this is a hard question for me to answer because there's not a lot of things I do mm-hmm. that are stepping away from, you know, business and success and achieving those type of goals. But what's something you do just to um, for fun? I know you mentioned soccer. Is there anything else? I just do more real estate. No, I'm yeah, well, that's sort of my answer most of the time. But uh, <laughs> Nick loves for me to throw this one in there. This question. <laughs> yeah, I, I play soccer. You know, like five times a week, as much as I uh-huh. can. To be honest, uh, it's great just taking my mind off everything. 
you know, once you're on the field, you, you don't think about anything else. And it's just you and a few friends and a ball. And it's just, it's just, you know, something that I've done since I was three years old. So that's what you'll most likely see me doing. Other than that, I love traveling. So growing up in Singapore, you know, I was born in Japan and I traveled around Southeast Asia a lot when I was a kid. And I just can't imagine like not traveling at least once or twice a year. So every year I usually try to explore a different place that I've never been to. Uh, and, and kind of explore the world as much as I can while I still can because, you know, when I'm 60, I might not be able to do it or I might not want to do it. But right now I'm like, yeah, let's go to Puerto Vallarta. Let's go to, you know, Mexico. <laughs> you know, let's go to Costa Rica. Let's go, you know, <laughs> to Florida yeah. or Miami and see what's up there. So uh, I would be traveling a lot. And I think those two things are what I consistently do on a year to year basis or on a monthly basis. Awesome. Yeah, so, so are you pretty good at soccer? I, I, I'm decent. Yeah. I yeah. I'm, I'm no good. I do love to travel though. Um, I did, I hit four cities in the last month uh, that I'd never really spent much time in. So I do really love to travel, but I'm no good at soccer. <laughs> <laughs> traveling is so fun. I love, I love it traveling is. for food and also to meet the people there too. Cause you get so much insight from like how people are living, you know, in different mm -hmm. areas and just talking to the local people. It's always so fun. Yeah. There's just completely different vibes everywhere. And it's, oh, yeah. it's, just, it's cool to experience uh, as much as you can at least once, you know, mm -hmm. uh, so that, that's a big goal of mine is just to travel as much as I want. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, so wh where, where's somewhere that the listeners could hear some more about you? Um, you put out content on Instagram, TikTok, like wh where, where should they find you? Yeah, I, I'm quite consistent in Instagram and TikTok. Uh, my handle is H-A-Y-A-N-T-O-O-O. And so it was like my nickname when I was playing soccer back in Singapore. And uh, I couldn't get Hayato Hori. I thought it was quite original, but my name is not yeah. that unique, it seems like. So <laughs> I had to use that username and uh, it's, it's stuck. So Okay. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So, people can find me there awesome and uh, do you have any any last words of advice or anything you needed to um get out there for the listeners to hear i think the biggest advice that i can give is take action and learn as you go i didn't know anything about wholesaling real estate i didn't really know much about real estate in general when i first started i you know had a lot of failures and many of the businesses that I started previously. So you learn as you go. And the more you try things, the quicker you'll learn and the quicker you can apply it into the next thing that might be your next big success. So for me, the biggest thing is take action. And if I can do it, anyone else can. Awesome. We'll end it there. Thank you so much, Hayato. And I uh, hope to see you soon. Maybe we'll run into each other on our travels. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast, Tim. I appreciate I, it. I appreciate it.